Welcome to Spellbound, a podcast that guides you through the magic of children's books. In this episode, we look at supporting children starting school, where they are beginning to learn to read, around the ages of four to six years old. I'm joined again by Jane Carter, Senior Lecturer in Primary Education at UWE, the University of the West of England in Bristol, and a specialist in reading for pleasure at primary age. Hi Jane, welcome back to the studio. Hello. We're thrilled to have you here to share all your knowledge on reading to and with children. We're talking about how to support children starting school and very often learning to read for the first time. What can you tell us about this stage for children? So books, for me, play a really key role in maintaining the consistency for the child where everything else around them is changing. So keeping the bedtime routine, for example, going is a good way to reduce stress of those new beginnings. It can be the time of day when the child has no new challenges where they can enjoy being as they were before school. We need to make sure that you read and you reread those old favourites. So however babies you think they might be, those favourites that they've read for a long time, like The Tiger Who Came to Tea by Judith Kerr, or Michael Rosen's We're Going on a Bear Hunt, if that was what your child loved in the past. And I think maybe that wasn't what your children loved. We just don't really bond with it. And I don't know why that is. It's a really good thing for children to develop those preferences at an early age. We should be encouraging children to say, I love that book, I want that book again, but equally to say, I don't like that one. And you continue to do that as an adult. It is one of those books, though, that has that kind of predictable pattern and rhyme to it. And that's often why children do enjoy it, because they can join in. And when they're starting school, that's particularly important because in those beginning stages, we're trying to develop in children what we call phonological awareness. So that's the awareness of speech sounds in words. And they're a prerequisite, but also a predictor of early reading. And so rereading books like, you know, from Julia Donaldson or any of the Dr. Seuss books, it helps children develop those really essential pre-reading skills. My youngest absolutely loves Dr. Seuss. The more nonsense it is, the more he loves it. What is it about those made-up words that children really like? I think it's the humour. It's the humour of it, but also the fact that they can be part of it. So they can make something rhyme. They can make another word that sounds the same. And it's a bit like those games that we play with children. So the I spy type games, the rhyming games, all of those are not just fun for children that they love to do, uh, but they're also really important because they support that development of early reading. So we'll be talking about a lot of books in this episode again, all of which will be on the book list on the Spellbound website. So please don't worry about having to remember them or grab a pen and write them down. So Jane, we're talking about how to support your child's reading, specifically when they start school. Some sail through this transition really easily, but it can be daunting for some parents and children. I know with my two, my eldest started school no problem at all. And for the first time, my youngest really struggled. Lots of high emotions and being tired. Are there any subject-specific books that they can read that might help them through what can be quite a tough time for some? I would say some really nice books to read with children about starting school are books by Janet and Alan Olberg. Um, So great favourites, really. And they show children all the things that they might expect to happen when they start school. Or if your child likes Shirley Hughes, for example, they might really like the Lucy and Tom at school book. And if you've read Harry and his bucket full of dinosaurs by Ian Wybrow, 
then that same character, Harry, can be found in the book Harry and Dinosaurs Go to School. And so a great one for enabling children to see what that transition is between being at home and going to school. And if you like Clarence Bean and Charlie and Lola by Lauren Child, then it's worth reading I Am Too Absolutely Small for School, also by Lauren Child. And for a parent, you might want to have a quick look at the Oxford Owl website because that's got lots of really good ideas and advice about your child starting school, including a really useful list of picture books that you might like to read to your child. We'll make sure we put that on the Spellbound website so you can check it out right there. I love the fact that you've already recommended so many books, a lot of which my children and I have never read. Tell me, as an education specialist, are there any secrets to successfully learning to read at this age? I think the most important thing, and it's not a secret, is being motivated to read. So motivation can come from knowing that reading is pleasurable. And hence, that's why it's really important to keep reading aloud to your child. So even when they've started school, even when they can start to read for themselves, it's really important to keep going with that reading a book to get the child's enjoyment of of what reading really sounds like. And for a child, early reading can be a little bit of a disappointment. So for some children, it's such hard work. And those early reading scheme books can be really, really dull. Um, So the sorts of books that you might want to read your child if you're thinking about that motivation, those books that give the message that reading's a good thing. So you might have heard of a book called A Cultivated Wolf by uh, Becky Bloom and Pascal Billet. Or more recently, a a more recent book, Little Red Reading Hood by Lucy Rowland and Ben Mantle. That works in a similar way. It promotes really reading in the story. Um, And you might also have seen that YouTube clip of The Book With No Pictures by BJ Novak. And you see the children rolling around laughing at this book. It's got no pictures in it, just words. But it gives that message that words carry meaning. It's called The Book With No Pictures. It says silly words like My best friend in the whole wide world is Boo Boo Butt. And my head is made out of blueberry pizza. (laughs) And I love a a recent book. It's called We Are In A Book by Mo Will. It does a similar job. So it's a story of an elephant and a pig who suddenly realise that they're in a book and the power that they have because they can make you do anything as a reader by what they tell you to do. They really reinforce that idea that print carries meaning and that's a way of motivating children to begin to both read and also write their own books. Some really interesting points and so many book recommendations. I look forward to checking those out. Let's just touch very lightly on phonics. My youngest has been bringing home books that are, as you mentioned earlier on, a little dull. I just want to read him Megan Mogg all the time. I love the Megan Mogg books. Can you talk us through what to do about supporting phonics at home where you want to read the books you enjoy with your child, but there is a little bit of pressure from the school? Uh, I'd say it's, it's an absolute balance, really. But yes, it is important to support your child. Children at the beginning will start to bring books home that will reflect the kinds of sounds that they've learned in school so far. Or they might bring books home that have got repeated phrases or lines in them. And what those books do is they tend to support the learning of some key high frequency words. Whichever type of book your child brings home, 
it's likely that those books are not going to be the most exciting books in the world. Uh, an example might be that, um, those of you that, that whose child's bringing home a book, say, from the phonics bug. It's typical of a scheme, and it goes something like this. It's called Sid's Nits, and it goes Sid's Nits, Sam's Nits, Nan's Nits, It Nips Nan, It Dips, It's a Mad Din, Nan's Pan. So, without the illustrations, it really is a rather odd story, and odd even if you haven't got the illustrations. So when a child brings a book home like that to read, the first thing to do is before they start to read, flick through the book and talk about what you think is going on. And then perhaps use some of the words that are in the book to make sure your child's got some context of what's going on. So at least they start to derive a little bit of meaning from what they read, which after all is the purpose of reading. And then look at the pictures Sometimes the pictures are quite nice as those books begin and they also can then help you to kind of spot the sorts of words that you might introduce them to. So, for example, you know, a book like that that's all about knits, you might just want to talk about what a knit is, what a nan is. You might not call your nan nan, you might call your nan gran or granny or grandma. That kind of vocabulary chat before the child starts reading is really important. And it's kind of an inevitability that those early reading books are going to be just a little bit limited. And that's because in those early stages of reading, children have only learned a certain number of sounds. So they begin with the sounds S-A-T-P-I-N, and so therefore there's quite a lot of books that are all about sitting on pins, because those are the only words that you can make with those sounds. I guess you can use those books to start to discuss the themes of books with your children absolutely it is that bit about discussing if the focus is too much on can you just say what these words are then children lose the purpose of reading they become a little bit stressed about the whole process however daft the book seems to be however thin on the ground the story is talk about the book talk about the pictures the events in the book the words in the book And if your child can bear it, then read it, reread it and reread it again three times is a good idea because that helps to build that fluency, accuracy and eventually some expression. Phonics didn't exist when I learnt to read. I'm pretty sure it didn't. Why do we use it and what is it? Where did it come from? Well, language is a natural thing when we're talking. However, language written down is not a natural thing. So we've over the years devised a system to help us to write what we want to say down and then to read that back. And that's really the essence of what phonics is. It's the patterns that we use in order to put some symbols to the words that we're making. And therefore, the research demonstrates that learning those sounds, learning those patterns, learning how to decode that print from the page, that those skills are the essential, although not sufficient on their own, skill of early reading. And as the research has developed over the years, it's become evident that phonics is perhaps more important than maybe it was in terms of early reading than when we were at school, when we might have learnt in a different way. But it's not all about phonics if you're reading with your child, right? What should you do if your child is struggling, tired or even bored of reading these phonics books? Sometimes the reading of that book that comes home, the reading book, 
which I always think is rather a funny term because aren't all books reading books? But the reading book that comes home can become a bit of a struggle, particularly when your child's tired at the end of a school day. And the last thing they really want to do is start another school-like activity as soon as they get home. Think about when you read that reading book with your child. It may work for your child to do it in the morning, so maybe over breakfast or before school, when they're likely to be slightly less tired. With other children, they might be more willing to read, not to you, but maybe to the cat or the dog or even the goldfish, and that's just fine. They sometimes like to read to their favourite teddy, and what they're getting is practice. And that's really what they need. They don't necessarily need you as an adult correcting them and making them feel judged all the time. So you might find that older or younger siblings or grandparents or childminders or any other adult might work better than you as the parent. And really, it isn't personal. It's just hard work for some children. So if your child is feeling a little bit despondent by the process, and do remember if that's the case for your child, that's really, really common. uh, You might like to read your child a book by Daisy Hurst. And it's called I Do Not Like Books Anymore. And it's a lovely story of a character who absolutely loves stories before she goes to school and is desperate to be a reader. And then she gets her first book and she finds out it's just about this cat that doesn't really do anything anyway. And she's really disappointed. She doesn't think they're books at all. And so she kind of almost gives up on herself. And then what the parent does is they encourage the child to write their own book and they can read that book together. Don't forget, all the books that Jane and I talk about on the podcast will be on the Spellbound website. We tend to read one school book at home as a ticking off exercise and then jump into all the wonderful picture books that we really love at home. Is this a good thing? Absolutely. It is really, really important to balance your child's practice of reading with you reading really great picture books and longer stories to them as well, because that's what reinforces that reading is pleasurable and it continues to add new and interesting words to child's vocabulary. And the more words they have heard, the more they know, then the easier it is for your child to read those words when they encounter them for themselves in the books that they're reading when they're at that stage of reading. It also means that they've got a great vocabulary for writing. And it's also a really good idea to work with your child to create their own books. They can dictate their story to you. The child doesn't have to write it. And you write that down. And the children can illustrate it as they go along, the pictures that go with it. And then that's a book that you can read together. And your child will probably find it easier to read a book that they've created than one that they haven't. And you might like a book called Making Books and it's by someone called Paul Johnson. And it's loads of really simple ways of folding and creating your own books. That sounds like such a great idea. What about more factual non-fiction books? My youngest loves things about dinosaurs and facts about things like so many other boys his age. We tend to dip in and out of them. So non-fiction books are brilliant for uh, girls and boys and really good to read aloud at this age. But do remember, we don't really read non-fiction books in the same way we read a storybook. We tend to read storybooks cover to cover, but non-fiction books we don't read like that. They're reference books. You have a question and then you see if you can find the answer to that question in the book. So that's a useful kind of little pattern to use when you're looking at non-fiction books with your child. Uh, One of my favourites at the moment is called The Big Book of Blue by Yuval Zommer. It's an amazing book with double page spreads with superb illustrations that you can spend absolutely hours looking at. And it's kind of the art of browsing 
and it's one to promote for children. So dipping in and out is a good thing. Absolutely. In previous episodes, we talked about the Oi Frog series by Kez Gray. Talk to me about why these continue to be good suggestions for children starting school. They're great books, these two. These books use rhyme to create really funny and engaging dialogue between the characters in the book, the cats and the dogs. And they're great for the early reader too, because what the early reader can do is they can predict the word that's coming next because of the rhyme. And they also then enables a child to look at the patterns within those words and they can start to see the letter patterns as well as the sound patterns. So if you've read those books aloud to your child when they were younger then they're great because the children then relish that opportunity to perhaps read them independently or with the support of a younger sibling. In a previous podcast, Tessa Strickland from Barefoot Books gave some wonderful advice on allowing children to read the same book over and over again and that when they moved on, it would be because they've taken what they needed from it. And I love that. How important is the notion of choice for children at this stage? Choice is really important. Let your child choose the book they want to read and they want you to read to them, even if it's the same book for the hundredth time. So a child's agency in reading is important and it's a really key element of reading for pleasure. And it's something that you want to support children in doing because as they become older as readers, you want them to be able to do that independently. And then clearly you'll want to introduce new books to your child as well. So you might like to kind of perhaps read a page or two to see if they like it or dip in to the middle of the book to see what they think of it. And then the child can make that decision about whether that's one that they want you to continue to read to them. Some great picture books that you might like to dip into in that way and see if your child enjoys. The Lion Inside by Rachel Bright. Lovely story of kind of courage of even the smallest creature. The Day Louis Got Eaten. Lovely illustrations of uh, one character after another after another being eaten and the pictures are just wonderful. Anthony Brown, if you don't know any books by Anthony Brown, you really should. Into the Forest is a great book that is a book that's got all sorts of references to other fairy tales within it through the illustrations. How to Hide a Lion is kind of what it says on the tin by Helen Stevens. Uh, Open Very Carefully, a book with bite by Nicola O'Brien and Nick Bromley. Uh, That's a lovely book with kind of great cutout bits of the story. Um, And you can imagine kind of the the biting of the book as it goes through. Oh, you may like Man on the Moon by Simon Bartram that I know you've talked about before. And if you've got a child who really likes a wicked ending... Try reading Good Little Wolf by Nadia Shireen. It's got a rather cruel ending, as has A Hungry Lion by Lucy Ruth Cummings. Lots of lovely fluffy creatures in that one that aren't there at the end, just a, just a lion. Lucinda Belinda Melinda McCool by Jeannie Willis and Tony Ross is another favourite of mine. A rather unpleasant girl is Lucinda Belinda Melinda McCool, as you might imagine. And she kind of gets her comeuppance, really. And I guess my favourite of the wicked endings is Tadpole's Promise, but I won't tell you what happens at the end because it will spoil the wicked ending. Lots of amazing recommendations there to get your hands on. What about children of this age who may be ready to discuss deeper themes? Would you have any book recommendations for them? One book uh, that I think is a really good one for children is called My Name is Not Refugee by Kate Milner. And it introduces children in a really gentle way to understanding who a refugee is. Another book I like is called Perfectly Norman by Tom Percival. It's a sensitive story about a little boy who's different. 
and he tries to hide his difference until the end of the story and he realises he can reveal it. Another really lovely book is called A Big Wolf, A Little Wolf and it's a book written in translation and it's a story of friendship but of resisting that friendship at first. They sound like wonderful recommendations and that last one I would imagine would appeal to pretty much every child starting school and the fears around making new friends. We talked in previous episodes about how much children love flat books. How important is physical interaction with books at this age? So it's really important. As children start school, they really don't want to lose that interaction with the book. Meerkat Mail by Emily Gravett. It's got lots of postcards in it and they're integral to the book. And I've got some other favourites too. Dragon Post, which is just brilliant. It's a story of a little boy who finds a dragon on his doorstep and he has to look after it. So he writes all these letters to different people that might help him know how to look after the dragon. And each letter that he gets in reply comes in an envelope in the book that you can take out and read and written in a different style. It's just beautiful. And you might remember The Jolly Postman uh, by the Albergs. um, And that's a really similar sort of book to that. I also like Mixed Up Fairy Tales by Hilary Robinson and Nick Sharrett. And the book is kind of cut into strips. So you make your own picture depending on which strip you use. Um, And perhaps my very best favourite of flap books at the moment is called Inside the Villains. And it's by Coltilde Perrin. And it is just a feast of a book. So you can lift flaps, explore popping up bits, read from different genres. And it's all about the villains of stories. So getting your hands on things is still really important at this age. A lovely thing to do. Yes. So we're just about finished. Any final suggestions about helping your child learn to read when they start school? I think the key thing is about not making it a stressful process. If your child doesn't want to read, then don't force them to read to them read them the book they brought home and read them the stories that they know and love keep the routines going remember the bath book bed routine keep that going because that's some level of consistency in what is quite an upheaval for a very young child as they start school Jane, thank you so much for sharing all your knowledge and expertise with us and for leaving your office at UWE and coming into the studio it's a pleasure Don't forget all the books that we talk about can all be found on the Spellbound website at spellboundkids.com. I popped along to independent bookshop Max Minerva's in Bristol on a very wet Tuesday and asked them for their recommendations on the best books to support children starting primary school. So I'm Sam Taylor from Max Minerva's Bookshop in Westby Park in Bristol and currently looking at a very wet high street uh, with people sheltering from the school under umbrellas and uh, looking rather sodden, so it's quite nice to be inside today. I went around the store this afternoon and pulled out a few of my favourites that we currently have in. From a picture book level, Rose Blake's Going to School and then slightly older, probably, or more confident readers, Matt Haig's The Truth Pixie, and then Princess Disgrace, first term at Tall Towers by Lou Kunzler. It's a series. This one comes in and it talks about her first term at school and touches on the difficulty of making friends and how she stands out from being the clumsiest, but actually that's not an obstacle in the end. So one piece of advice I'd give to parents with children starting school is to not really have any expectations about what they're going to read and how fast they're going to learn to read. 
The main thing is try not to compare them to what other children are reading because they all progress at different rates and they'll all latch on to books at different points. I think the main thing is patience and not to expect any of them to be the same as any others, either in their ability at reading or what they're interested in reading. So we're absolutely thrilled to welcome Rachel Bright on the phone into the Spellbound studio. Hi, Rachel. Hi, lovely to be here. So you've won a fair few awards, including the Evening Standard Oscars Book Prize and the Sainsbury's Book Award for The Koala Who Could. And your books have sold over a million copies and been translated into over 38 languages. How did it get to this point and what does this kind of success feel like? I I can't quite believe it myself. I'm often saying um, somebody pinch me. You know, I, I had a conversation with an editor the other day who said, I often say that getting a book published is like winning the lottery and having that book be a success is like winning the lottery again you know and I really I really feel that for my own personal lottery you know all my creative dreams sort of have come true but it's been a journey you know and that's often what I say to other creatives who are just starting out and wondering what the journey's like you know I've been doing this for 16 years now and so I've been I've been kind of honing my craft I suppose and I've had the amazing privilege of being able to do that through writing published books I'm, I'm working on my 26th book now you know wow. the the series that I've done with Jim has been a really interesting project for me because I actually used to illustrate all my own books so sort of leaping out into collaborations was an interesting new step for me I heard a lecture once where an, a very established author said it, it took me 20 years to become an overnight sensation mm-hmm. and that really resonates with me. I, 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 I think it's a process rather than an event, an, an event. But I thank my lucky stars every day. It's amazing to be able to just spend my time doing what I love. So you mentioned Jim a few times there. Jim Field did the wonderful illustrations for a few of your books. Have you got any more books coming out that you've worked on together? We have another collaboration literally on our desks as we speak, and it's it's another animal tale in this collection. And we have a few more penciled into our schedules too after that. So we hope to write write and illustrate many more stories together. That's the plan. Brilliant. Well, we look forward to those. Uh, we're talking in this episode about supporting children starting school specifically. Which of your books would you recommend for this? Well, I was thinking about these big transitions that children go through. In fact, all of us go through. And that's another point to make about these stories is that, you know, as Maurice Sendak said, I I write stories and someone tells me they're for children. But (laughs) what I think sometimes we underestimate our, our children and just how kind of wonderful and resilient they are. But we all need support through big transitionary times. And starting school is is a huge one for for kids who are four or five in this country where they start school. And I think, I suppose I might recommend The Lion Inside because that's about courage and finding your inner courage and understanding that even the bravest people or those that seem bravest from the outside are still feeling nervous on the inside often. And it celebrates the similarities between us in that and our emotional kind of harmony as human beings. And knowing that helps to take a big step out into the world. And finally, Rachel, a little birdie tells me that you have a new book published today. Congratulations. Thank you. (laughs) Can you tell us a bit about it? 
So this is a, a brand new collaboration with an amazing illustrator called Chris Chatterton, who some of you may have already heard of because he's very prolific and has done lots of other books as well. Um, and we have started doing, actually it's, it's the start of a series together um, that's all about exploring emotions. And the first book is called The Worrysaurus, uh, which publishes today. Very exciting because we've <laughs> it's been finished for six months or so, but picture books take a long time to cook. And it's just really nice to see him out in the world. And it's all about about finding ways to release your inner kind of worry butterfly so that you can be more in the now and enjoy things without worrying about what might happen. Um, again, a universal thing I think we've all experienced. <laughs> well, we really look forward to reading that. And Rachel, thank you so much for taking time out of your very busy day to chat to us. Oh, it's an absolute pleasure, Melissa. Thank you so much for having me on the show. Thank you for listening to Spellbound. We're thrilled that you took the time to join us. If you'd like to share book recommendations with us, or if you have a question on any of the books we mentioned in this episode, do get in touch. We'd really love to hear from you. Head to spellboundkids.com for more details and links to everything we've talked about in this episode, as well as information on how to find us on social media. Please follow us and let us know your favourite books and what topics you'd like to hear discussed in future episodes. We have lots to share, so be sure to subscribe on your favourite podcast app. Thank you to everyone who made this happen. To Jane Carter, Rachel Bright and Max Minerva's Bookshop in Bristol. Music by Wilfred DeSalis and Daniel White. Engineering by Simon Hill. Website design by Lee Carr and animations by Leo Tom and the beautiful artwork by Pippa Pixley. This was a Spellbound production brought to life by Melissa Tom and Ewan McAleese. Join us next time to dig deeper into some of the best children's books around. See you then. <laughs>